And if you open up your word, the Bible, to Revelation 12, we're going to go over probably six or seven verses tonight. And then leave the rest for another time, because there's a lot to cover here. You've got three main things happening in this chapter. So we'll just go over the first one. Now, I know I don't have to say this every week, but uh, it's probably good to say it anyway. As we go through this chapter and other chapters, you know as well as I do that there are multiple interpretations for everything we're going to go over. So all I'm going to give you primarily is what I've landed on. And if that doesn't set well with you, then there are, well, no, because there are so many. I mean, it's just, I was reading through it again this week, and it's really interesting. For instance, um, how many commentators have differing opinions on who the woman is? So, you know, you have to decide ultimately as a student of the Bible and hold yourself responsible for that view, what makes the most sense to you. So again, what I'm giving you tonight is what makes the most sense to me. And it doesn't mean I'm right. I like to think I'm right. We all like to think we're right. Because it would be stupid if we said, you know, I know I'm wrong, but I'm going with it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, that's where we are. So the book of Revelation, it opens with, let me just read the first six verses to you. And I'm reading from the uh, ESV. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant, was crying out in birth pains, in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Okay. So, what's really interesting about this text, in my opinion, it is a very brief, concise view of Israel, the birth of Christ, and the adversary saint. So we're going to break this down just a bit. And as I mentioned, commentators have come up with everything on who the woman is from the church. Some say it's Israel. Some say it's Mary. So it's just interesting where everyone goes with this. And, and it's fine to discuss it and see where you land. But for me, and maybe I've gotten into a rut, but I've studied this enough to believe that what we're seeing right here, and it's so fascinating to me, because if you remember from chapter 11, we talked about the two witnesses, the travail, the trials they went, and their ministry they went through, and then they were killed, and then three and a half days later they were resurrected. And all that happened in the 11th chapter, and then it ends with the seventh trumpet, the kingdom is proclaimed, which is absolutely fascinating, because this is God, through the angelic host, or whoever speaks, saying, look, the kingdoms of this world, chapter 11, um, have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And then the 24 elders bow down, fell on their faces and worship God. So we get all this pageantry and what they say to God. And then at chapter 12, and notice verse 19, I'm sorry, on chapter 11, then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of covenant was seen in His temple. Obviously, this was not the ark that was on the earth. Obviously, it wasn't the temple that was on the earth because those things, as were instructed to Moses, were patterns. Mm-hmm. What Moses created were patterns of what exists in the third heaven, 
the throne area of God. So we see all these things, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake and great hail. And then, chapter 12 opens with this. It's almost like a little bit of a parenthesis. But it's not, but it is in some ways. Because God is saying, look, here is a very brief history of how I worked in this world, in the creation, to create and bring to fruition the salvific plan of God. And it began with, quote-unquote, the woman. And so let's just investigate. Revelation 12, first few verses, we've got a woman clothed with the sun. She has a moon under her feet. She has a crown of 12 stars. Now, as I said, I've read a lot of commentaries. It's really interesting where people go with this. My rule of thumb has always been um, to take the literal approach, meaning, what does Scripture mean here? There's one meaning, obviously. There can't be more than one meaning. There has to be only one meaning. Right. So, uh, the reality then becomes, well, if this is in Scripture, does Scripture explain Scripture? And we've all heard that. I think even Marcus said that. I'm sure he has at one point or, or another where he says, Scripture is best when it interprets itself. Let Scripture interpret itself. So, does this conjure up anything in your mind that makes you think, yeah, I, that's, that's really familiar. I know I've seen stuff like that in Scripture. And maybe you can't think of where it is, or maybe you know exactly where it is. But what's fascinating is, in this chapter, Revelation 12, the very last book of the Bible, it actually, well, before I tell you where, let's go ahead and continue here. The woman was pregnant and gave birth. Then all of a sudden, this red dragon appears. Seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems or crowns. Okay, so, the dragon we are told, his tail sweeps one-third of the stars of heaven to earth. What is that referring to? The angels. The, the, the angels that fell with him. I, I don't, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around this, which means that, I mean, here you are in the presence of God. But then Adam and Eve did the same thing. You're in the presence of God, and you see His glory. There is no sin that keeps you from seeing Him, who He is, in His reality. And yet, the dragon comes along and convinces you that you have a better way, that you are the better God. I don't know how that happens. I don't know how it happened with the angels. I don't know how it happened with Adam and Eve. But the Bible basically tells us in Romans, it implies that you and I would do the exact same thing as Adam and Eve did. Mm -hmm. And to deny that is probably not a good thing because of just human nature, not even talking about sin nature, but human nature. We seem to go to that extreme, that point, we're kind of drawn to it, away from God. Now, the angels, Paul does talk in his letters about the elect angels of God. And I tend to think that that terminology means there were angels created by God who had no ability to fall. Others, he gave the ability to exercise free will. That one-third of the stars of heaven followed Satan in his cunningness and said, yeah, I bet he's got a better plan. So one-third of the angels of heaven were taken by him. And he stood before the woman. Notice he personally, he personally, he didn't send some high-ranking angelic fallen being. He personally decides, I'm going to catch whatever it is she's given birth to, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to devour it. And don't forget, what has been Satan's main goal since day one? What has, obviously, not, I'm not counting, I'm not talking about 
when when we the five I wills where he says I will be like the Most High. What does he want? How has he tried to implement that along the way? What has he tried to do as far as God is concerned? Stop the Messiah from ever being born. And, and stop the plan. Stop yeah. the plan. Absolutely. Every step of the way. And this is why it's so important to know this. Satan knows this better than any of us. Period. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're one of the greatest preachers that has ever lived or lives now. Satan knows this better than we ever can in this life. So he knows, plus he has the benefit of seeing what's going on in the spiritual realm. So he sees things happening and he's able to jump ahead because of how intelligent he was and is. So he's tried to always stop the plan before God was able to initiate it. But I don't think he can see everything. Oh, oh, oh no, no. Uh, thank you. I, I didn't want to imply that he could. He can only see what's written here, and he understands it better than we do. And then he sees what's happening in the spiritual realm, and that gives him more clues than we'll ever get. But can he see everything? Absolutely not. And plus, he can only be in one place at one time. Unlike God, of course, you can be everywhere at once. Mm-hmm. So he knew that something was happening because God was concentrating on a guy named Abraham and Sarah. And I'm sure Satan noticed that and thought, hmm, there's something happening here. There's something happening here. I need to go back to where it was written in Genesis 3 and try and figure that out. And I'm going to keep my watch on those guys. What are those guys doing here? Why did... Oh, they just said... Oh, they just said she's going to have a son. Must be an important person. Because she's well past childbearing age. Hmm. So, you know, we can see how this all went down. Dragon stood before the woman as she gave birth when... He knew, obviously. Imagine what he was able to see and discern in the spiritual realm. Jesus, all of a sudden, is literally leaving heaven to come here to be born as a human. That would have gotten his attention. So we can assume right away that he would try to kill Christ and uh, he would understand that if I succeed here, I have destroyed God's plan. I mean, think how many times in the Old Testament he tried to destroy Israel. And every time he did it, he did it for the same reason, to destroy God's plan. Everything he does, he seeks to destroy God's plan. So the dragon wanted to kill or devour it. Now here's the woman again. She gave birth to a male child. He would be, the text tells us that he would be the... um, she gave birth to a male child, verse 5, one who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Mm. Boom. Well, we know instantly that, that is referring to Christ. Christ. And that is, his rod of iron will be during the millennial kingdom. All right, so when he physically reigns from his father David's throne in Jerusalem, physically, and every eye will see him, that's going to be amazing. So he would be king of all kings. He was caught up to God on his throne. So Christ, working with God the Father, was able to thwart Satan at every turn. Christ gave his life, he gave up his life when he willed it. He was able to take it back during the ascension. I mean, he was very, very clear about that. No one takes my life. I lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back up again. No one took his life. Satan tried... Couldn't do it. Absolutely could not do it. So then we learn that the woman flees into the wilderness here. The child was caught up to God at the throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Okay. So, this hey, is. Wouldn't it be interesting to know uh, 1260 days, three and a half years? 42 months. Yeah, 42 months. Yep. It's all, you know. So uh, Mary and Joseph were told to flee, that Herod was after them, right. and were to flee to Egypt. Right. Wouldn't it be interesting that they were there 42 months? 
Yeah, it would be a turn. Yeah, we just don't know. I mean, I know. We don't know, but I suspect. So all of this is... So are you of the opinion... It's a repetitive theme. Okay. And I think that it will... It's going to repeat itself. It could be. You know, that this this celestial event happened in 2017. Well, if this is actually a celestial event, then there is a possibility that it did happen then. Yeah. If it's not a celestial event, then it's referring to something else. Well, and this also may be what the Magi saw as the great sign in the heavens. Okay. That they were following a star. Yeah. You know, or... or and Genesis says that the stars and the heavens, the planets and all that, are to, are to keep time and, right. and appointed times and and so forth and so on. Right, right. So, well, we'll just have to see where it, uh, I mean, it is. This is always, uh, you know, the, the many interpretations. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. You, you, absolutely. And, and on the... I'm of the type where I have to, just like you, just like everybody here, I have to make sense of it for myself. Yeah. It has to fit in my brain. Mm -hmm. I have to be able to go, okay, okay, that makes sense. This feeling you get when you feel like, oh, okay, now I get it, now I understand. But you know what? You're talking about the glory of God. The glory of God doesn't fit in your brain. Oh, absolutely. I mean, not. how do you explain the universe? God created the universe. I mean, and I, and I watched some program on TV where they're discussing yeah. the universe and the, the the sheer size of it. You know. Well, according to the Bible, it has an end, but and yeah, you know, and, and then uh, the simplicity of a leaf, oh, the intricacy of a leaf. This is what I mean. This is what I kind of laugh sometimes at evolutionists. You know, they're so smart, they're stupid. They see some of the details, but they don't. They don't. They don't assign those details to who deserves. Or, or DNA. You know, I saw a thing on Instagram. I, I assume it's true, but it's some kind of DNA sequencing. It's ten something five something. Anyway. It, in the Hebrew, you know, the, the mm -hmm. numbers, mm -hmm. it's yod hey Habe, mm -hmm. uh, which is Yahweh. Okay. Yeah. So, and that, you know, that, there's a sequence in the DNA. Well, and it's interesting because we know the Bible refers to this old language that will be resurrected, the perfect language. And many scholars yeah. believe it's Hebrew that's being yeah. resurrected. And that happened when Israel became a nation and Hebrew started coming yeah. back. Well, let's continue here on well, Revelation 12. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. So she will be nourished for 1260 60 days. days. Yeah. And so we're speaking of, and you were talking about them fleeing to Egypt, mm -hmm. you know, the, the amount of time that was. So it's um, a prepared place. I, I okay, well, I, well. Yeah, what's your question? Satan couldn't find them in Egypt. Oh, yeah, he could have, but obviously I think God protected them too. That's what I think. I mean, you know, um, and, and they were there until Herod died. We don't know how many months. I should do some research on that. Is it Amanda's looking it up right yeah, now. Yeah, okay. I don't have the benefit of glasses, though, so I'm happy okay, to Okay, so you won't be able to give us the answer. Yeah. <laughs> while you're looking, let's continue with this, because it talks about... And, and by the way, this is really a timeline, right? Israel was born. The Christ child, thousands of years later, is born and literally comes from Israel, ultimately, not just Mary, but Israel, because Joseph and Mary were Jewish, so they were part of Israel. So he comes, and then, then it tells us basically, um, where am I, sorry. She was pregnant, crying out in birth and pains and agony. Another sign appeared, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that she bore her child that he might, she, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule nations, but the child was caught up to God and to his throne. Well, we know from the time he was born to the time he was caught up to heaven, that's 33 and a half years later, roughly. So there's an awful lot of time that's going on through here, but it sounds like it takes place boom, boom, right boom. Right yeah. So the 1260 days are very, very specific, and where have we heard that term before, 1260 days, with reference to what? Three and a half years of the tribulation. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. First part, 
or the second part. It's divided in half, and we know that the dividing line, at least according to Paul in 2 Timothy 2, is when the Antichrist reveals himself. And how does he reveal himself? With the abomination of desolation by going into the rebuilt temple and sitting in the Holy of Holies and declaring himself to be God. And it is at that point, which we'll read about when we get to Genesis or to Revelation 13, that everything goes haywire as far as society. And so he decides, I'm God. The false prophet says, you're going to worship this guy world and you're going to get the mark it's Revelation chapter 13. You're going to get the mark. Without that mark, you don't want the mark? That's fine. But without it, you can't buy, sell, or do anything. And then eventually, the persecution starts ramping up really, really good. Turn to th- uh, Genesis 37, 9 through 11 real quickly here. I need to ask you a question. Okay. Uh, well, I'll save it for later. But okay. Don't forget it, Sam. But it's, well, it, remind me, it's related to... Uh, Abomination of desolation. Okay. Genesis what, 9? 37, 9 through 11. Let me just, 37. Yeah, so let me read this, and you'll know who this is about instantly. Quote, Then he dreamed still another dream, told it to his brothers, and said, Look, I've dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. Verse 10, so he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him. What I find fascinating about this is Jacob knew instantly what Joseph was talking about when he said, oh, I've got a dream. This time the sun, the moon, the eleven stars bowed down to me. And instantly, instantly, Joseph's father Jacob said, uh, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. So you're saying that your mother and I and your eleven brothers are going to bow down to you? And his brothers envied him, better word, hated him even more, but his father kept the matter in mind. Okay, so what we've got here is this in Genesis. Then if we go back to Revelation 12, 1 through 6, we hear this or we read this same imagery. And we're going to hear seven things in a minute. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. So, all the imagery is there. The sun, the moon, and the twelve stars. Notice in Genesis there were eleven stars. Why did he only? Why did the father only mention? What do you mean you're eleven? Because well, he's the twelve. Jo- yeah, because Joseph, Joseph is the twelve. Okay, so here we go. We've got a woman, and it's not Joseph's mother. It is... Something else. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Notice in Genesis that it says that... Um, wait, sorry, i got to find it again. Okay. Um, look, I have another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. They each represent family members, and here in Revelation 12, we've got this same type of woman... With, she was clothed though. Notice, clothed though. Doesn't say the woman was the sun in Revelation 12 or the moon. It says she was clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. This basically is is Israel wrapped up for us. It is the woman Israel who is composed of or comes from. It comes from Joseph's parents because he and his 11 brothers are the patriarchs of Israel. So that is the kernel. That is the root, shall we say, which also includes Abraham and Isaac. But that's the root of Israel. Those people make up Israel. So we've got that right here, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars. And again, his father Jacob says, wait a minute, you're saying that we're going to bow down to you? And his brothers envy. But his father kept the matter in mind. And we know that that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what Joseph went through by emotionally when he was falsely accused of raping this woman, or at least attempting to rape her, Potiphar's wife, and then gets thrown in the dungeon, and then spends years in the dungeon before the timing is right, 
and God pulls him out of the dungeon so he can, quote-unquote, impress Pharaoh with his knowledge of dream interpretation that he knows God gave him. And he's very, very quick when Joseph goes before Pharaoh eventually to give that glory to God. Very quick, just like Daniel. And Daniel's friends were so quick. So we see this, and we see that these figurative references to Israel, uh, these are additional, by the way. Um, there are many figurative references to Israel as a travailing woman in the Old Testament. There's some verses, if you want to write those down. I'll have the uh, PowerPoint up this week, too. She, Israel, eventually gave birth to Christ, 12.5. In Genesis 37, 9, the sun corresponds to Jacob, the moon to Rachel, and the 12 stars to Israel's 12 sons. That's from Dr. Com Thomas Constable. So it's fascinating the way this all kind of comes together. And again, to me, it once again proves that the Bible is its own best interpretation. Remember, we're talking about a book that God took 1,600 to 2,000 years to write using 40 different authors. And this is completely unlike any other book, including, for instance, the Quran, which was written by one individual over a space of 50 years. Well, here's 2,000 years, 40 different human authors, with God guiding every step of the way. And the, the unity is remarkable. So the woman getting ready to give birth represents the nation of Israel because ultimately Jesus comes from the nation of Israel, and we have his lineage in Matthew, and we understand exactly where, and, and also in the other Gospels, and we understand where he came from, his line, proof that he goes back to, um, all the way back, to Adam. to Adam. The birth of Jesus through the nation of Israel, and the context of the text points to Israel as the woman. There are many people Good folks, conservative scholars who believe that the woman here represents Mary. I don't see it at all. I don't see how they can get there. I, mean, I know how they get there. I know how they get there. Yeah. I just, I don't believe it is. But clothed with the sun, I, you know. I, I, well, I can them, picture the statues in my head of her with the sun. With the halo. So the second sign now, okay, we've got the first sign. Because verse 1 says of Revelation 12, Now a great sign appeared in the heaven. Remember, John is seeing all this stuff, metaphorically. He's seeing word pictures, but they still have a literal meaning, which he comes to understand as much as he's able. So we see the second sign of Revelation that appears, and that begins in verse 3. Another sign appeared in the heaven. Behold. A great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. Okay, so obviously we know this dude to be who? Satan. Satan, right? But also notice, though, there's a great red dragon, but this dragon has seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven crowns or diadems. So what does that represent? It represents what? Not just Satan. But Satan is the those are nations. The yeah, those are the ultimately. And it's the Antichrist. It's ultimately, it's the Antichrist and the beast system. Yeah. That, by the way, we're moving to yeah, in leaps and bounds. They allude to his power, wealth, and prestige. Power, wealth, and prestige. Well, you look at all the billionaire globalists right now. <laughs> yes. Would yeah. you agree they have power, wealth, and prestige? And they are above the law, basically. They yeah, do whatever they, they want. What they, want. Yeah. they have no one to answer to. No one. As a matter of fact, Geneva, Switzerland is a country unto itself, even though it's inside a country. Uh, the Vatican City is the same way. There's a square mile area within the, uh, Great Britain, England. It's also the same thing. You go in there, you are a law unto yourself. And, by the way, nobody gets to just go in there. So we've got this beast system that Satan is empowering and controlling. And, of course, the dragon is Satan. And he is the powered influencer behind the beast with seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems and crowns. So we know that this system is coming. It's on its way. I, I'm... I'm I'm really shocked and, and surprised, quite frankly, at how many people can't see it. 
they they don't they don't see it. Well, they got blinders on. Pardon me? They got blinders on. I think God or Satan. Satan's a great deceiver. Has he's, he's blinded. He has. It, it just absolutely amazes me because I sit there and sometimes I wish that I had blinders on because I see <laughs> yeah, what's right. I see <laughs> what's coming and I said I want to see what's coming. I know. I said to Sylvia, I said, okay, do you think we're good? What do you, we have everything? What what are we missing? What are we missing? Well, you know, that kind of stuff. So, And I'm not worried about it, and I don't fear it, but it's just I don't just think coming. you can worry about it. Look, no. you, you got to trust in the Lord that's going to oh, take absolutely. care of you. Because yeah. you, can, you can prepare, prepare, prepare all you want, but you're still doing it with a human mindset. Oh, sure. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, We're just using common sense to figure it out, and you know, we trust the Lord. say that one of these diseases comes in, and it's the bird flu and kills all your chickens? Yeah, that's really happening. I'm not wishing that on you, just as an example. I had a, I had a sick turkey. One of our friends came over recently. They're like, well, don't take him to the vet because yeah. they'll, they'll kill your they'll kill flock. That's oh, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not taking my chickens anyway. Page about their chickens or the chicken page, and it's like, you're crazy. Dad, what were you going to say? You were going to say something. Do you remember? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it's past. Uh, it'll cause bad loneliness. All right. If I don't say it, we're going to go through. You know, it's gone. The seven heads, ten horns, ten diamonds, yeah. crowns, that's also in Daniel. Right. Same, yeah. Oh, yeah. same beast. Oh, yeah. Seven heads, same ten thing. horns, seven diamonds. Same yeah. thing. Same exact thing. Yes. Daniel. This is what's so fascinating about God's Word. You can't study Revelation without studying Daniel and Ezekiel. We just don't have time oh, yeah. to go back and forth to those. But yes, you're absolutely right. In my opinion, somebody else may disagree with both of us, but Satan has always tried to stop God's plans. We talked about that. He has tried to destroy creation. He did that by trying to gain control of it, first of all. And he was successful in that regard because he got... The owner, I shouldn't say the owner, the manager of the, the planet, Adam, and his wife to sin. So that gave Satan a huge in into this planet. He was on the outside before, now he's in. And the bad thing for him that he, I'm sure he realized almost immediately is his future was forever connected to the demise and whatever happened to this planet. So that's why he fights so hard. And we'll get to a point here in the next time we get where, um, what, when next time we get together, verse 7, Satan is thrown out of heaven. And that's an interesting section as well. And Jesus referred to that when he says, I saw Satan fall like what? Lightning. Boom. So it's, it's just kind of fascinating the way he thought he was being so smart, Satan. He thought he was being so crafty and wise, and he was. And he was being so deceitful. But he didn't realize that he sprung a trap on himself as well. He wasn't able to think that far ahead. So he tried to keep Israel from becoming a nation. He tried to kill Jesus before his time. Remember in the Old Testament where it said, you know what, you won't be able to get these people to, um, to turn their back on God, but you know what you can do? You can get them to intermarry. And then eventually they'll start adopting the customs and uh, worship situations of their lives. Right. Well, and that's exactly and what happened. This is something that um, I see a lot now, more and more, how our church, not not Mount Isle, not Mount Isle Church, but right. like Jesus' church, yes. um, has allowed the same kind of thing. Uh, um, it's not intermarrying necessarily, but it's, well, we'll... It's not so bad. We'll let that in. We'll right. let that philosophy. Exactly. We'll do that. And you think, exactly. when did we? When did? Exactly. I mean, but it, you just keep getting hit with these things until until it gets a foothold and it gains in. And then before too long, it's like it's tradition oh, yeah. that, that we that we do this, and it's it's not biblical. It's no. not coming out of the Bible. No, and since so many people, unfortunately, don't study their word, they don't read it every day, they don't have a quiet time, they're, they're not into His word, they're not memorizing Scripture, and I'm talking about Christians in the church, since so many are doing that, they can't discern between right, right. and wrong because they right. don't have the discernment because they don't have they don't God's have word in their heart. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just yeah. one thing connects to another. Yeah. You know, and um, I'm sure all of us could probably read his word more, 
but we don't ever get to a stopping point and go, okay, I'm done. Well, the church and corporately has failed to uh, keeping the theology clean, mm-hmm. yeah. such as you know, you're talking about certain denominations have allowed you know uh, homosexual women to be yeah, pastors of the that. churches or you um, know what or, or whatever. What's the guy that did Saddleback Church? Um, oh, Rick Warren. Rick Warren. Okay, he's ordaining women pastors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, I mean, these, well, this they is don't not see, cool. This but is not they don't see any problem with it because they think Paul's comments were basically um, cultural at the time, so it has nothing to do with today. Right. And I, then they'll quote uh, Galatians where it says, you know, in Christ there's neither male nor female, uh-huh. uh, slave or free, etc., etc. What they ignore purposefully is that verses like that in Galatians talk about salvation. Not mob, not what Mark talked about, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, was it Sunday or Wednesday, where he talked about the roles of men and women mm-hmm. in the church. Right. And it does not not mean inequal well, or unequal. Specifically pointed out by Paul in one of his writings yeah. that this, this is the duty of men in the church and this is the duty of women in well, the church. Well, he goes back to Adam and Eve. I mean, he takes it way back, so that exactly. just erases any that's kind right. of I mean, cultural You, you can't ignore that, exactly. Yeah. That's um, a, he, he goes, I don't allow women to do this. Why is that? Because, you know, Adam yeah, yeah. was first, and then Eve. And Eve sinned, but yeah, yeah. it's so clear, Right. but they still argue about it. They get into the minutia of the verbiage, and they go back into the Greek yeah, and try to pull it over to appease the culture. That's it, and well, I hear that right. a lot. I hear yeah. that out of a lot of people, Christian people. Well, the, world the culture is flawed. It's like no, 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 no. We got to no. go back to the Bible. No, yes. I mean, again, the scripture's clear on that that we are to remain a part of, but separate from the world. Yeah, we can't be unequally yoked. Yeah. But what are you going to do? Yeah. It, it is what it is with people well, today. And we're going to see more and more. It's all that's part it. of God's plan. That's yeah. it. Because yeah. so. it's right, frustrating so. up to that what you just said. This is this is part of God's plan. Plan. This is not a surprise that oh, no. all this philosophies oh, no. are oh. are infiltrating well, the church. But it doesn't mean even though it's part of His plan, right? It doesn't mean that He's okay with it. He understands no. it. He uses it for His glory. That's but it. He is still completely unhappy with well, the fact that people is, are ignoring it. Okay, we're to do all we can to. Thwart the Satan's ambitions. Right. I agree. Of course, we can't do it. We can't succeed at it. But at least we're to here to do it. Right. All and, we can. Well, and I think the major way we thwart him mm. is through the evangelization of the lost. Period. I mean, yeah. we can do the other things as well. Absolutely. Yeah. But the first priority of the Christian, Christ is God has never rescinded the Great Commission of right. Matthew twenty-eight. That those are our marching orders. You know, we've got to do that. And that's I agree with you. And that's one of the that's one of the biggest ways we resist the enemy. Well something I hold on to is Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name mm-hmm. will humble themselves. We don't say, well if the world will humble itself. It oh, says right. my people who are called by my name. Well, what do we call ourselves? We call ourselves Christians. Right. Yeah. Right. It's true. I mean we all need to be more humble. We all need to Start every day with a commitment, recommit ourselves to well, him. It's a, it's a promise. He says he'll heal our land and, and but But we are held more accountable. We are held, we are held more accountable. That's the thing. Well you know, this is this But at the same time at the same time where the USA is concerned, consider this. The people I mean, you look at Nineveh and what happened in Nineveh when Jonah finally preached over there? What happened? They repented. They did. They did. Who repented first? The leaders. The leaders the king. And even though it was a small city, they still had a king. The king repented, and he commanded everybody else to do that. Now, what it would take to heal the United States is not for Christians to get together and repent, which is always a good thing, but what it would take is for our leaders in Washington, D.C. to understand the deception they're living under, repent of it, and then make amends with God in an attempt to do things the right way. Will that happen? No. According to what I see, it's exactly. not going to happen. 
Exactly. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we stop resisting the enemy. It doesn't mean. Yeah. I mean, we do it every every way we can. So this, this isn't the first time God's lost lost his patience with mankind. Oh, no, no, no. So you were talking about you know everything is repetitive. There's these. Yes. Themes that run through history. Okay, yeah. Satan, you're talking about Satan trying to destroy God's plan or alter yeah. God's plan. Oh, yeah. or, I mean, he did. He sent his angels to basically crossbreed with exactly. female humans yeah. to to uh, create like destroy the DNA. Well, destroy <laughs> or poison uh, the DNA. Yeah, that's and, one line of thought. God's that's why God selected Noah because Noah and his clan had were, were pure, and He destroyed everybody else. Well, they yeah. were also they were also godly, and nobody else was. Right, and the interesting thing about that is, like going back to what you said about everything being repetitive. Absolutely, because if you look in Scripture, you've got a generation of Israelites that totally abandoned God, then the next generation is like, wow, we're suffering for this. We've got to seek God. So they sought God, and that generation succeeded, and then the next generation comes along, and they slowly start abandoning God. I mean, this is so repetitive. This is why, in Scripture, it seems like, wait a minute, didn't I just read about this? Right, right. It's, it's always, yes, it's always, exactly. It's the same thing that happens to society. Well, let me get done with this if I could, because um, I want to be able to finish up I mean, what I love about this, I love the discussion, absolutely. Um, and we could probably go on for hours, because this is, it's really good stuff. It's amazing. Um, Revelation 12, he will rule the nations. That's what the, uh, the text tells us in the opening verses here. The child cried, or she cried, giving birth. Um, she gave birth to the, uh, the child, the male child, to, to devour her. As soon as it was born, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. That's a promise that will occur at the end of the tribulation when Jesus returns physically. He will be, it, it, it's going to be such a different picture when Jesus returns. I mean, and what I love about this, some commentators have gone into depth trying to understand the, the time of his return and how it's going to happen. And the concept here is I may have mentioned this, that it's not going to be this, boom, instantaneous event where all of a sudden Jesus is up there and then poof, he's here and people are going to go, how'd you get here? Who are you? No, no, no. They're going to see, literally, and he talks about this, uh, Jesus does in Matthew 24, the skies literally depart like a scroll. It'll be almost like slow motion. They'll be just like this. Then they will see the Son of Man coming. That's not an instantaneous event. That's probably going to be very dramatic and stretched out. Like and all the world will mourn. If it only took two seconds for Jesus to get from here to there, what is the world going to mourn about? They're going to, who? Who's that guy? But all of a sudden, everywhere you are in the world, you're going to look up, and you're going to see the sky start to split open. And it, don't forget, it's going to go dark before that happens. So then the sky opens up. These people on earth will see into the spiritual realm and all that that entails that God will allow them to see. And then they will see Christ riding back to earth on the white horse and he will be shining like brighter than the brightest sun. And as he returns, he will kill the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth. And the false prophet and the Antichrist will be sent to the lake of fire. Satan will be caught and sequestered to the bottomless pit for a thousand years during which Jesus will reign. Now, when Jesus comes back, there will not be any politician, globalist, Amen. or any kind of political leader or business leader or anybody else who will have anything to say to him about how he should do anything. Their reaction will be one of immense, absolute love because they're one of His, because there will be people saved during the tribulation, or they will be an abject horror that here comes literally the judge of my soul. So this is what's absolutely astounding. So He comes back, 
And then we learn a few chapters later from Matthew 24 that he judges what's called the sheep and the goats, and he literally gathers all the nations. He sends his angels to gather the nations. I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. He separates the sheep from the goats, the left, the right, and then he judges. He will sit on his throne and judge the nations. They won't have a thing to say about it. They will not have, they won't be able to squirm their way out. They won't be able to talk their way out. Nothing. It will be done according to his perfect will. And no one, this is the point I was really trying to make, will be able to resist anything he says or does at that point. Nothing. Nothing. It's, it's hard for us to imagine. It's hard for me to imagine, but that's the way it will be. So this child that was caught up to heaven refers to Jesus' ascension in Acts 1. And this refers to when he comes back, whenever that is. So it's not a reference, and, and I know that some commentators say that this is a reference to the rapture here in verse 4. It's not. Not in my opinion, it's not. Um, there's no mention of the rapture. And there's very, very brief intimation of the tribulation here, 1260 days. But that's only talking about a three and a half year portion of it, not the whole thing. So that's not the rapture. So the Jews flee into the hills. Remember Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24? When you see this happening, take off. Run! Don't even do what? Don't, don't even go down off your, uh, your, your roof there and grab your coat and try and get things to get. Just run and woe to those women who are breastfeeding. Woe to you if this happens in winter. Woe to you. You know, he's saying this is not going to be an easy time. Just run. Pray it doesn't happen on the Sabbath. Why? Because the Orthodox Jews will be observing the Sabbath again. And I find it fascinating. During the Six Day War, um, you're familiar with it, I'm sure. Was it 1969, I believe? 67. I'm sorry, 67? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so during the Six-Day War, when were they attacked? On the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. The world isn't stupid. Hey, we can well, get the Jews. 72, Yom Kippur. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. But what I loved about it, they, it seemed like they were losing right at the beginning, and why wouldn't they? They couldn't fight back. Then the Sabbath is over. <laughs> and then they started, and they, they kicked some people's behinds, and uh, man, Moshe Diane. Okay, so, he led the troops. So the Jews flee into the hills during the last three and a half years of the tribulation, or 42 months. I personally believe this part is referring to the second half of the tribulation. I know that other people re believe it refers to the first part, but I think it refers to the second part because this will take place, in my opinion, when the Jews see the abomination of desolation sure. occur. Yeah. So that, that, to me, makes more sense than it being the first part. Okay. So, and that's exactly what Jesus meant when he spoke well, of this in Matthew 24, 15 the, through 22. The Jews fleeing into the hills, this is the woman fleeing into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, that's what correlates they to this. They Absolutely. Got, where, where is it they claim the... Uh, Edom. Petra. Petra, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, wouldn't be surprised. Uh, wouldn't well, be surprised. it's supposedly going to be a place prepared by God. Absolutely. Yeah. And if He prepares it, then they'll be protected wherever yeah. it happens. Right. It could be out in the middle of the desert. Okay. We'll see if it happens, or when it happens, I should say. So the Jews who flee go to a place prepared by God and will be fed and taken care of for the remainder of the tribulation. And I love what is really interesting here, um, which we'll get into next time. Satan, obviously, clearly cannot get to them. Mm -hmm. <coughs> the scripture tells us, <coughs> excuse me, tells us that he can't get to them. Why? Because God is protecting them. And he says, no, they're off limits. Unlike when Satan came to him and said, well, you got this protective hedge around Job. You take that away and you watch how fast he'll curse you. Okay, you can do this and this, but you can't take his life. You can do anything you want to, but you can't take his life. So he tries. Here, God says, nope, you cannot touch them. Don't even think about it. Don't even consider it. Totally off limits to you. You're going to have to go elsewhere. And Satan does. He goes after the rest of the believers, which we'll talk about next time. So, Revelation 12 says nothing, just to reiterate, about the rapture or the start of the tribulation. 
Revelation 12 is only referring to the last portion of the tribulation, and we know it gets pretty dicey if God has to, um, if God tells the Jews to flee, but he has to protect them. So we know it's very dicey. And we, of course, understand from a human perspective that Satan failed at the cross. He failed for 33 and a half years with Jesus' life, every step of the way. And Paul, what is it, in First or Second Corinthians, I'm sorry I didn't look it up, where he says, it, it, ultimately Paul is telling us if Satan knew what would have been accomplished, he never would have incited that crowd to crucify him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the whole thing is here, Satan thought he had an in even there, and then yeah. realized afterwards, it's like, oh man, I just gave him what he wanted. Salvation yeah. for many. And so he fails. This doesn't mean he's stupid, by the way. Um, I always get concerned about people who say, oh, I just tell Satan to do this and go away and blah, blah, blah. I think we have to be very careful. I don't even give him a, 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 any leg room if I can. I'd rather direct my thoughts and, and do like Michael did and say, the Lord rebuke you. Right. Because some people, I don't know what it is, some people want to take the enemy on. They can't even see him. Can't even see what he's doing. But they're going to try and take him on. So it's much safer just to say, Lord God, if you would, protect me from this and rebuke this, etc., etc. But he, he never succeeds. He never will fully succeed. So Revelation 12, 1-6 is a very brief overview of Israel's history and their start to the birth, death, and ascension of Christ, and looks ahead to his rule over the world in the millennial kingdom. So, next time, we're going to be going over verses 7 through 17. Hopefully we'll get to all of it. We should. If not, we'll just go 7 to 12. But we're going to talk about the war that breaks out in heaven, and then Satan thrown out, what that means. Where is he right now? What is it? Is this still a future event? What's going on? And then the woman persecuted. Any questions?